House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. For the interview today, we are going to be talking with uh, true crime writer Paul Drexler, and uh, we have uh, a book in particular that he's focusing on called Notorious San Francisco. And it's True Tales of Crime, Passion, and Murder. So uh, thank you for joining me, Paul. Sure, it's wonderful to be here. So, Paul, first of all, let's let the audience hear a little bit about you. Um, what what got you into writing true crime? It's funny, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think one might be in the, in the 1950s, uh, my Uncle Jack's, uh, Buick was used was stolen and used in a gangland killing in New Jersey, and uh, that definitely got my attention. And I think that's that's kind of how I got started on this. And I just find the the history of crime and and some of these things just fascinating. And the, and they're also a lot of times related to other things that are going on uh, around us. And they're just great stories. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I got started. I came out to San Francisco almost 40 years ago, and um, I've been sort of specializing in writing about the the Bay Area crime. You know, I find it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Now, you you particularly look at um, older crimes like notorious San Francisco. So you're you're talking about yeah things from um, way back, aren't you? Uh, maybe give us a little brief of kind of what you focus on. Oh, sure, sure. Well, you know, San Francisco is a city uh, that was founded in part by criminals. Uh, and and that's one of the reasons that make it so interesting. So uh, the crimes, uh, I, I go back to, I'd say, the range of what I write about is between, say, 1850 and the early 1970s. And this is, you know, this is a city that likes weird things and uh, it likes unusual people. So it, it's almost like asking for these. Uh, the, uh, you know, the poet Ken, Kenneth Rexroth said that San Francisco is the only American city which was not founded by the westward spreading pure. Puritan, Puritan tradition. It was settled mostly by gamblers, prostitutes, rascals, immigrants, and fortune seekers. That's that, those are my kind of people. So that uh, that interests me. <laughs> oh, you're good. You hang out with those kind of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and we're also a, you're like a, a United Nations of crime. I mean, really, uh, all nationalities. In fact. Uh, in the early 1850s, the biggest group in San Francisco were the French. And they got here because there was this big uh, lottery in Paris, which is called the Lottery of the Golden Ingot. And what they, the first prize was this huge hunk of gold. And what they said they were going to do with the money was to bring 5,000, you know, deserving poor French people to the United States. But what they actually did was they went into the prisons and they, they took the prostitutes, the pimps, and all their political opponents, put them on ships, and sent them to California. 
where they fit right in. So it's it's got that kind of kind of uh, atmosphere to it. Yeah, and San Francisco's seen a lot a lot of crime and and um, activity. Of course, you know, with the Zodiac coming up with their the fiftieth mm-hmm. anniversary, that's I'm sure something you hear about a lot with San Francisco, and um, it, it, that seems to be an endless one. <laughs> It's it's so interesting. I yeah, I, I do write about that, and, and it's um, I really call it. It's a study of zodiology, because what's fascinating, in addition to the crime, is the world of people who are studying the crime, and it has so many classic, you know, parts to it. You know, you have this murderer who you uh, you really can hate. You know, they're they're, they're very obnoxious. Uh, they're very braggadocio. You really want them to be caught, and somehow they're not. And also, they they have these ciphers that they put up. So it's an intellectual puzzle, also. And yeah, it's 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 almost like a religion, the zodiology business. And people have different suspects. It's like they're different kind of uh, brands of the religion, and they they argue endlessly about whether it's this person or that person. And I, I find those those kinds of things interesting. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever been on one of their Facebook groups or pages, I can't believe how. Um, <laughs> I think they're probably the, one of the more hateful groups. <laughs> oh, you're right. You know, well, it's 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 it's. I think it's kind of like if you're like an extreme religious person, you hate the person who's slightly different from you much more than the person who doesn't believe at all. It's like the, those little differences, and yeah, and, and it's it, it is fascinating to to read the vitriol that that, uh, that people throw at each other, and also some of the incredible uh, theories. And this sort of gets into conspiracy theories, also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of them get some of them get crazy. I mean, we've had people on say that was. Uh, Anywhere from Ted Kuczynski, the the uni, mm-hmm. uni, Unabomber, to right. to Hodel's grandfather, and I, I've you know right. I, I just um, you, what is it about this crime, and what is it about a lot of different crimes that we see? Do you think that um, people want to believe it's their family members of some sort? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, know I mean, that's crazy. Like, I couldn't. I didn't necessarily get along with my father. In fact, we probably didn't get along at all. But I couldn't turn around now and start saying, "Well, I think he was, you know, the whatever the Green River Killer." Yeah. Like, right. Just, right. I mean, I just uh, it. It is. It's very funny, and also. Uh, there was the more recent guy who um, wrote, you know, a pretty well-selling book about his father uh, being the Zodiac. The the only real evidence uh, is that his father looked a lot like this guy. But he has this whole theory with the handwriting, and and they base the theory on the handwriting on a wedding certificate being the same as Zodiac's handwriting. And then it turns out that the person who has the handwriting on the wedding certificate was the minister who married them. <laughs> well, that's so, it all. You know, <laughs> yeah. So maybe that guy is the Zodiac. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, uh, and, and I kind of feel sorry. Uh, sometimes when I'm interviewing people like that, I mean, that that you, you kind of start thinking, wow, this they, they probably need help. And as this, you know, uh, they're in a bad situation when they start thinking things like that. And I mean, if, if you find if you find real evidence, you know, like, you know, clothing or body parts or something <laughs> from a murder, then you can sort of start maybe taking it seriously i i don't know it's too bad i just i just well, don't it's, know what it's, it is. yeah yeah well it's also interesting when you look at evidence and i've gotten more interested in this what is good evidence you know uh and certainly you know dna and fingerprints are are, are fairly conclusive but a lot of other things that people have thought you know was scientific evidence like bite marks or handwriting analysis are really not. You know, there's a, there's a large element of subjectiveness in it. And, uh, and then the whole thing about eyewitness um, testimony, you know, 70% of people who have been freed by the um, Innocence Project, I think, were convicted on eyewitness evidence. Yeah, um, yeah it's not reliable. No. Um, and what's especially not reliable, it, it, it could be pretty good if it's the initial uh, impression. A lot of times, you know, people are shown uh, photos by the police and kind of subtly pressured into picking one person. And then that gets settled in their mind and they're sure of it. When at the time it happened, they said, well, I just saw him for a second. So, yeah, it, it is interesting how all all those things sort of fit in and how in the Zodiac case, when people have a candidate where all the evidence, you know, that points to this candidate, they emphasize and all the evidence that doesn't, they completely ignore. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's, it's giving a lot of people a, a, a living, I guess. <laughs> it's yeah, like a little well, cottage industry. Certainly. I'll tell you, write, write a Zodiac book or write a Jack the Ripper book and you got some good cash flow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now, so in the book, what, were, were there any cases that particularly really surprised you that you came across? Uh, well, there, yeah, there were, there were a lot of interesting. Well, one was certainly, um, I have a section called Con Artists. And these, these and of course, San Francisco has some, some interesting ones. And one was a, a Dr. Abrams, who was, in fact, an actual very good doctor. He, he went to you know, Heidelberg University, and, and he wrote some classic books. And then uh, around 1908, he came up with this idea of ele that electrical impulses was a big part of this. And of course, at that point, elect electricity was kind of a new thing. And people gave a lot of power to that. There were a lot of devices made that, you know, you plug in and that some, somehow made them work. And he, he came up with this theory that he, he could have this machine that would, could, uh, just with a, just a, a, a sample could tell everything about you, could tell what color hair you had what religion you were. Anyway, uh, and it, it became like a very successful business for him. 
and uh, and it wasn't until almost that he died that he was finally discredited. But I, I think that was one. Or also the one case that really interested me from just when I heard about the name of the first thing, which was the Yacht Bandits. Hmm. <laughs> it's a great name, you know. Yeah. And it literally, it, it was true. It is these guys who had a yacht. They were actually members of the San Francisco Yacht Club. And they would sail the yacht from city to city, rob a bank, go back on the yacht, go to the next city. Uh, and these these two people were incredibly talented, brilliant. They were creative writers. They could ma- make anything. But what they loved doing was robbing banks and 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 escaping. Uh, you know, and it, it's interesting that I, some of the most able people I've ever read about uh, both ended up being uh, being executed uh, for murder. But it was they they're so you know often you you read about someone or someone says, oh this person is so smart so talented they could make a good living just you know working a regular job, but the the truth is they don't want to. I mean, there's something about crime that's very, very exciting. Robbing a bank is like a performance. I, I, I can see how you would get so amped up, uh, and, and that could be a thrill that could be uh, addicting in a way. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. That's why yeah. a lot of people do it. Uh, it's funny that, you, that these are bank robbers and how you don't really hear about a lot of the bank robbers. This is a bank robbing couple, the Yacht Bandits, but yet you'll hear mm-hmm. about Bonnie and Clyde. Well, you're right. They kill. Well, of course, Bonnie and Clyde killed more people, and they were, uh, you know, uh, and it was at that particular time in the 1930s when the bank robbery was big. But you're right. These these people, which much more interesting their their escapes from jail were more interesting they're just brilliant and in fact they were kind of the opposite of bonnie and clyde bonnie and clyde liked to kill people you know they 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 would shoot people uh, when they didn't need to and uh, including police the yacht bandits to them using a gun was the was an amateurs you know the way an amateur would do it they they wanted to rob the bank without hurting anyone and even without having to use the gun although they they did have guns and, and in fact um there there was one instance when they used them but these were people who could manufacture while in the prison in two different prisons they both manufactured guns out of spare metal parts and they manufactured bullets you know it's it's incredible the uh, how brilliant people can be uh, if if they have to do something. Yeah, and it's funny because I was going to say in Bonnie and Clyde, you know, and they they kind of made them look like they never killed anyone in the in the movies. Yeah, they're very much glamorized. They certainly weren't. Uh, uh, you know, Clyde did not look like Warren Beatty. I can no. tell you that. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and yeah, they seem sort of like goofy people who loved each other, but you know, 
who shot some people. But you're right; they were they were uh, very bloodthirsty. Well, yeah, because by the end of the movie, you felt really bad when they all got when they got slaughtered there at the end, because you didn't think mm -hmm. of them as, you didn't think of them as killers. You just think that they're wild kids having a good time robbing banks. You don't really it, right, right. It, it didn't portray that, so it's it's kind of funny. They could have taken the yacht bandits and made a movie and not really have to to cover that up. It's true, and and maybe they will someday. But it's sometimes the most interesting cases are not famous, uh, or they they may be famous when they happen, but they don't stick, or no one writes a book, no one writes a bestseller, or no one makes a movie about them. And they're sort of forgotten about. Um, so yeah, it's it's they're often not the most interesting people. And I, I think you know, in general, uh, murderers are not uh, are not sparkling wits. You know, they're not they're not really interesting people in themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, but they they make it that way for for TV. You know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it'd be, it'd and, be yeah. boring if. Um, uh, now, a lot of the gangsters and stuff, but, you know, people from that era, they're really kind of, um, they're the type of cr true crime um, people that tend to um, be glamorized and idolized by kids and people uh, more than others, you know what I mean, out, out of all the different types of, mm -hmm. of true crime out there it seems to be one of the most uh, popular yeah yeah i think you're right and also you know escape artists are the uh, very much um uh, you know admired and and you can sort of understand it uh you know because there's this one person out there and they're surrounded by hundreds of police and they you know they have to like you know uh walk through a sewer and make up keys to open these doors and do these incredible physical things. And even though they're, you know, in fact, they happen to be murderers, you sort of forget that. And it's like this is one person against the, the state. And, and that gives them the sort of romantic. It, it does turn out that most of the uh, escape artists were bank robbers. And I think that's because um, that tends to attract uh, more intelligent and more competent criminals you really have to plan uh you know quite carefully how to rob a bank and obviously escaping takes that takes that same planning but yeah i, I write about a number of them this this uh, uh there was a guy who was he, he was called the escape king uh and he was on the run. He escaped a number of times, and he became kind of a hero. He, he didn't kill anyone. Uh, he had a cute wife and a little kid, and, uh, you know, he, he would send notes while he was on the run. One time he uh, he, he asked President, uh, I think it was President Hoover, he says, give me one more chance. You know, I'll, I'll stop. And then, of course, two weeks later, he robbed another, uh, another mail uh, train. But yeah, there's there's something really kind of exciting about them. <laughs> yeah. Now now you've also got uh, the murderous millionaire, um, William yeah. Thorson. So why would someone with that much money have to be a, a murderer? Like or, or 
or I guess it really doesn't matter. I guess that, that kind of brings up the point that it really doesn't matter what you own or how much you have or if you're smart or dumb or if you can write poetry. It's just if you're a murderer, you're a murderer. Well, yeah, I, I think he really comes under the, the heading of psychopathic killer. And there are, you know, there are definite physical differences between uh, true psychopaths and, and other people. Uh, and if you look at the way their brains work, there is a difference. There's much less activity in the parts of the brain that, that have to do with conscience and planning and things like that. And uh, it's also interesting that all psychopaths are certainly not killers or not even criminals. And there are certain occupations, such as politicians, uh, lawyers, who score very high in, in uh, psychopathy, uh, you know, because it, it gives you an advantage in the fact that you have no conscience and, not, and something is not going to stop you from doing something. And also they tend to be very uh, uh, interesting and, 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 you know, uh, charismatic. And he was, from the beginning, he was a very disturbed uh, person. He, he was committed um, when he was still a teenager. His, his parents his, were very wealthy. His, his mother was kind of a socialite, and, and his father ran a steel company in the Midwest. But this guy really, from the very beginning, he uh, he was very twisted. And he met actually a nice uh, a teacher who was a couple of years older than him. And but instead of her straightening him out, instead of her making him better, he made her worse. You know, so he enlisted her in in a lot of the crimes and. Um, he ended up, I mean, he, he murdered a number of uh, people, in, including his brother, uh, for the money. And, uh, you know, he ended up doing a, a lot of things, but his wealth protected him for a while. And he certainly had a very good uh, relationship with the, the leading criminal lawyers at the time. Uh, and who had tried to describe him like he had the largest armory private armory in the history of the United States in his mansion, tons and tons of it. And, but his lawyer was sort of saying, well, yeah, he has a cannon on his lawn. He just, he's like a collector, you know, <laughs> uh, he had grenade launchers, he had everything, but yeah. So, so I, I, with some of them, uh, a number of the people in the book, I really, um, who turned out to be serial killers, certainly they're not all, psychopaths but a number of them are and they're, they're pretty interesting people so I, I just wonder in, in that particular case if, if he was um, a psychopath and they had him kind of institutionalized when he was young how did he get out or did they think he was treated and he was okay or fixed or like how does something like that happen well he was he he, he was um, very smart um, and he was, he was, uh, uh, he intimidated, I think, his parents and other people. And when he was a kid, yeah, he was committed, but then he escaped and he kind of made a deal with his parents so that he saw a psychiatrist and he got a, 
an allowance, and you know he he was able to be normal for a while and wait until he started. He he kept waiting to inherit money. That's what his game was, and um, he did a number of things to do that. And once he had the money, then he got even more dangerous. But you know people can act, and and uh, it's if you have money, it's it's easier to stay out of jail. Uh, and sometimes it takes a long time uh, for the, there to be enough charges and you post bail and you get out and you post bail again. So it takes years sometimes. And I'm surprised that more people don't know about him because he was quite uh, astounding. Um, and, and it's funny, his, his, um, his wife uh, wrote a book which had the title, It Gave Everybody Something to Do. <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> wow. interesting, interesting thing. Oh, um, yeah, especially someone so rich. How many did he kill in all? Right. Uh, I would say, you know, I don't know for example. I would say about five. Uh, he killed his brother. He killed a number. He killed some people in the mansion itself. He killed the guy who killed his brother, uh, you know, the person he hired to kill his brother. Uh, and actually... There's a very good chance that he was one of the most famous cases in the Chicago area in history. It was the murder of, uh, I think it was Charles Percy's daughter. Percy was uh, a senator from Chicago, very wealthy guy, uh, living in the most uh, expensive suburb in the state, and his daughter was. Uh, was murdered and the murder has never been solved. But when you look back at it and with some of the evidence that's come up, there are a lot of good reasons for believing that, that Thorson was, was the killer. Yeah. Wow. Well, the more money you have, the more freedom you get. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, you can buy the lawyers, you can buy all the top stuff, so, you know, gives you a well, lot of Well, you know, if, 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 if you're poor, you're crazy. If you're rich, you're, you're eccentric. That's how it works out a lot of times. Yeah. Oh, another one. I, I like this. Uh, Big Bertha Heyman. I love names. Oh, like she, <laughs> she, she was great. It's, she shows up in San Francisco around 1880, uh, she goes to the rabbi of one of the biggest congregations and she introduces, introduces herself as a widow who is Jewish, uh, but inherited, uh, I think it was $300,000 from her Christian husband. That $300,000 was like 30 or 40 million today. And she said that, um, you know, I married outside of the faith the first time, but I really want to marry a Jewish man this time. And I'm looking for a, you know, an established, uh, upright, uh, you know, religious, well-off Jewish man. And, uh, and, and I'll pay $1,000 to, to find this person. So she starts getting introduced to the sort of wealthy congregants. And his brother-in-law, who was a wealthy merchant, the rabbi's brother-in-law, falls in love with her. Despite the fact she was called Big Bertha for a reason, she weighed <laughs> close to 300 pounds, 
and in you know in in uh, the newspaper she was often described as elephantine or compared to a battleship <laughs> but she had this you know she had this incredible incredible charisma and he fell in love with her and uh he he gave her jewelry a lot of people gave her jewelry she wrote a check out to the congregation and um, and then she disappeared uh and her check bounced and uh the 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 guy her her to be husband uh started investigating and and went to the police and uh described this woman and she went to um there was a very famous uh detective in San Francisco who uh who listened to the description of her and then he turned and took a book out of the bookcase and turned to page 209 and pointed to the picture and said is this her and it was the book was professional criminals of america there's a book written by the chief of police of new york it's a very famous book thomas burns and she she was uh she was bella she was known to be one of the most uh one of the cleverest criminals in the united states and she was able to uh just really con people consistently. And um, uh, then what happened was that she she was hired by a a producer because it was so interesting to have this person and she had this other career and she would would, uh, give lectures about about her life and then she would sing one of two songs that she knew. Um, And Later on, she became a star actress, and she became known as an actress who couldn't act, a singer who couldn't sing, and a dancer who couldn't sing, who couldn't dance. And the fact that she was so bad was a was a, a great draw for some reason. Uh, and uh, you know, she went on in that area for 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 a long time. Uh, so she was. Just, you know, uh, she's very funny, you know, from now, from our point of view. She's charming. So it's a great story. Of course, if you were one of the people who had gotten conned by her, you, you probably wouldn't think she was this way. But she was quite uh, an unusual person. Well, it sounds like it. And, and what she could get, what was that um, said in the Woodward Gardens? She had 18,000 people see her. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what it said about her, she had the reputation, this is Thomas Burns from the New York Police Department, she has the reputation for being one of the smartest confidence women in America. And um, it was kind of written very admiredly. Um, And she also said that uh, the moment I discover a man's a fool, I let him drop but I delight in getting into the confidence and pockets of men who think they can, can't be skinned. It ministers to my intellectual pride. 
which is a great line. Uh, but the, the truth is that if a man was a fool, she'd also con him. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, uh, she was quite... Actually, she was once in a play... Uh, there was there's a character, famous character in San Francisco known as Oofty Goofty. And his talent was that he felt no pain. And you could kick him, you know, for, for a dime. You could hit him with a bat for a quarter. This became like a big deal when people would go to the Barbary Coast. They, you know, they'd want to you know, hit Oofty. So he and Big Bertha were hired by a theater to do... Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> uh, but they had to do it differently because there was no way that she could fit into the balcony. So the, the, the balcony scene was played with him in the balcony and her on the ground. And, um, you know, it, it was a big hit, but he was a, uh, kind of rough. She, she quit it after a few, a few performances and her, acting career ended when she was she was in a play called uh, Mazeppa it was a very famous 19th century play and in this play the heroine uh, is strapped to a donkey and you know various things happen so she was strapped to a, a, a real donkey on stage and the donkey and her fell into the orchestra pit and wiped out the uh, two-thirds of the orchestra <laughs> so go figure yeah, uh, yeah. These are interesting, interesting people. Well, so what? She was mainly a con person. That was her big thing. Absolutely. Yeah, she was a con person who who became like an an actress. But basically, she was she was a con person, and she had done it many, many times for long, long periods. Now I, I understand. I've read something about she might have even been a, a wrestler at one point, and then there was another point where she and a woman of similar size. Uh, engaged in a horse race, um, <laughs> which was, a, a, again, a, a, another big hit. Uh, so, yeah, she was she was quite a celebrity in, in her own way. Wow. Never, interesting. Never, there's so much great history. Oh, and, and now, and, and in the book, you've also covered, I guess, the Queen of Grudges. Now, what, what was that? Try to poison oh. an entire town. Yes, yes. It was this woman um, who was, um, well, let's put it this way. If holding grudges was an Olympic event, she would have won the gold medal. For, you know, she, she was the, the, she lived in Northern California, and she was always suing people. Uh, basically, she married a wealthy miner, um, and... At one point, she went away for a few months, came back with a child who she claimed was his. And uh, he, he died suddenly, and she sued to, to get his estate. She got involved in a number of lawsuits, and also with his brother. And, uh, and when she uh, had a grudge, she acted on it. So the, the attorney who was against her in this earlier case, she harassed him for the next 10 years. Um, she planned and, and she raised this kid as kind of uh, her, 
her criminal. So she planned, she didn't like the town that she was in, so she poisoned their water supply. But fortunately, uh, the current took it in another place. So just a few, uh, I think, animals died. Uh, and then she continually was, was fighting with people. Um, she would burn down some of her cottages for the insurance. Anyway, she blew up, or she had her son blow up a judge's house. Uh, so this was, you know, her entire life was, was doing this and, uh, she had the entire, uh, legal community in Northern California on edge, uh, until she finally was convicted. And actually she ended up, uh, being sent to a, to a mental hospital. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, it's, and her son, I mean, this is, he was a 16 year old. And he was doing all these things under her spell. And fortunately, when he was out of her control, he, he actually turned into a, a normal person. Um, <laughs> How do you recover? <laughs> I don't know. Well, it was, um, but there's it, it, just so many interesting things. You know, uh, it, it, there's a lot more detail in the book. And she was like a real fashion plate also. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it, it's just, uh, you know, uh, quite entrancing. Some of these people are really can be quite humorous, at least some parts of them, but uh, the, the, the nerve of some people or the craziness of some people, uh, well, there was a guy in the book, he was known as the, uh, oh, I'm trying to. I don't remember his name. He he poisoned his wives, and uh, he what he used was uh, buttermilk. He was known uh, as the buttermilk poisoner, and he had this whole routine where he would romance an older woman, an older wealthy woman, and then take her out of the state to a hotel and poison her with buttermilk and you know doctors who come to hotels are not the the brightest and the doctor would say it was some kind of heart disease and then he would uh, ship the body to another state have it cremated and destroy all the evidence uh, they were never actually able to convict him of murder but they did convict him of some other things which which took him out of circulation <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's just a, a lot uh, of fascinating uh, uh, criminals f from San Francisco, most of whom you really don't know about. Uh, there, was a, there was this woman, uh, Dorothy, who, who shot, shot her mother when she was 16, and uh, she created a new disease. And she also influenced world literature. Now, uh, the new disease was jazz mania. Because at that time, uh, the, a lot of the ministers thought that jazz was driving people crazy, driving kids to do these things. It's, you know, <laughs> we heard all this stuff about rock and roll in the 1950s. It really hasn't changed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald followed this case closely, and it became... Uh, uh, almost a plot line in one of his books. 
so it's it's uh, it, it was so unusual that someone of that age would kill their father. Now it's I don't want to, I don't want to say it's normal, but it's certainly not unheard of. So it it brought up a, a whole lot of other things uh, in terms of uh, people who who believed in eugenics, you know, saying well this. Someone like her is, is morally insane, and she's a, she's feeble-minded. That was a big term in those days, and that she should be committed to an institution. So that you know, it was, it was a huge, huge um, sensation at the time, and 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 uh, she she went on to have not a great life. And I, I don't want to get into it too much. No, no, you know, it's just it's it's just enticing to get people to read the book. Now. Um, you also do a crime tour in San Francisco. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure, I, I do uh, a tour. Uh, I do two crime tours. One is of the Barbary Coast. Now, the Barbary Coast was uh, the most dangerous part of San Francisco for probably for probably forty years, and uh, it's you know it was called is a unique criminal district that was the scene of more viciousness and depravity, but possessed more glamour than any other area on the American continent. So it's this, uh, you know, it's this glorious depravity that uh, attracts so many people to San Francisco. And it, it was that way because of Shanghai. It was, uh, you know, the, the big business in that part of the city was Shanghai sailors, which means that you knock someone out, give them a drink or something, put them on a ship uh, while they're unconscious, sell them to the captain of that ship for the first three months' wage. And this person wakes up, and he's, uh, he's on this boat, and uh, his choice is work on the boat or swim. Uh, and and the, uh, this, the area became really a magnet, and it became even a, a kind of a tourist sensation. A lot of famous people would would come to San Francisco to just to see this, and a lot of the dance crazes of the early 20th century came out of this. And of course, Chinatown was also it, it, it was very dangerous. Not for it was dangerous for Chinese because of the importance of the tongs, and a, a lot of this was because Chinese were sort of banned from coming to United to the United States at that time because of various laws, but there were always these Thomas controlling things and there were uh, a lot, there's even a crime map just done by the, by the board of the city and uh, you can still get it. It's, it's a color coded map of Chinatown, which notates with color, the um, gambling places, houses of Chinese prostitution, white prostitution, uh, uh, opium places, it's quite fascinating. So those are two different tours that I that I give. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Now, do you have a website for that for the for the tours? Yes, it's called cool? it's called crookstour.com. dot com, and okay. I got that from uh, uh, yeah c r o o k s t o u r dot com, and that was an idea of uh, uh, my mentor a friend. Uh, uh, Kevin Mullen, who was the deputy police chief of San Francisco and who became a, a crime historian. And he, he came up with that idea and uh, 
it ended up uh, being a walking tour. Wow. Sounds pretty interesting. We'll have that posted on our website as well, so people okay. can find Great. it easier. Now, now your book, is it a, it's available on Amazon, and I would imagine any uh, bookstores, if they don't have it, they can order it. Um, do you Absolutely. Have a, and do you have a website yourself for the for your books or for anything else? Or um, no, I, I I have the the Crooks Tour website. I have a Facebook page uh, for Notorious San Francisco, um, but I, I I am putting up a website for the for the book. Okay, fantastic. Uh, and I'm I'll be talking at a number of places, uh, speaking at a number of bookstores in San Francisco and uh, and Northern California. Oh, that'll be good. That'll be that'll be fun. So you're going to go around to the bookstores and just kind of present your book or talk about the San Francisco? Yeah, I, I think talk about it, maybe read a little bit of it, and uh, yeah, and answer questions because I'm uh, certainly knowledgeable about bad things that went on in this town for a long time and seems to interest people. Well, I didn't think anything bad ever happened in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, it's a very dull place. It's, you know, yeah, it's like yeah quiet, quiet place. Yeah. Go knit and <laughs> exactly. That's wow. where retirees come instead of going to Arizona. They come to San Francisco. Yeah. Do you do you have any influences yourself um, as far as crime, like um, writers or anything like that? Uh, well, I, I do. Uh, I am interested in in the con artists. Uh, that that's one area that, that that's interesting to me, and there's also some of the unsolved crimes. Uh, certainly, there's the Zodiac, and there's a couple of other cases that I, that I think are quite interesting. So, uh, yeah. but I'm I'm uh, I'm open to all crime. Let me put it that way. Well, there's plenty out there. Um, lots lots of crimes to find. That's <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, are you going to continue writing about them. this? Is this going to? Oh, be sure. A, I think yeah. I will. Yeah, I, I think I will. Um, I, I find it, you know, just very interesting and that it's kind of a, a way to look at the world uh, through the lens of, of crimes and often they're very connected to issues that are going on in the world. And yeah, it's, they're, they're great stories. I like stories and that's, you know, uh, cops and criminals are both really good storytellers. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And obviously, so do other people. So, so are you working on another book right now, or are you giving it a break? I'm, I'm working. I'm working on some pieces. I don't know if they're going to end up in a book or not. But yeah, I, I am interested. I am back to writing again um, now that the book is out, and we'll see where that goes. I, I, you know, I like to have a create a deadline for myself. That's how work, at least for me, gets done. And uh, it will probably end up as a book. Wow, sounds great. Well, um, it's been a great interview, and, and I'm glad you had the time to come on the show. Um, oh, thank you very much. The, the book, of course, we're talking about is Notorious San Francisco, True Tales of Crime, Passion, and Murder. Our guest has yes. been Paul Drexler. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. 
This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs>